If you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to Psalm 73, I want to share some thoughts with you tonight that I hope will uh, be an encouragement and a blessing to you. Uh, we'll be reading uh, much of this psalm. Uh, let's pray before we do those Psalm 73. Dear Lord, take your word tonight and apply it to our hearts and lives. Uh, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Your word is a comfort to our hearts. And I pray that you would light the path for us and that you would comfort our hearts. Use these words, this word, your word, to address our needs and we are needy people, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone, and my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious of, at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now there's a debate as to who wrote this psalm, and I've read several commentators concerning this psalm, and uh, some think that Asaph, whoever he is, wrote the psalm, and others say David wrote it, and Asaph was the singer, and I think he, he is titled to some 12 psalms. But it doesn't, it doesn't matter who gets the credit, it was God's word. And I think that's, that's the thing that's important. And, and, uh, but but as, as David looked around, he, he saw that the wicked prospered, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compassed them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, and they have more than the heart could wish. Boy, David just, as he looked around him, he saw these evil people were just heaping it on, millions and millions and, and uh, thousands of sheep and all this, and, and they just... They, they, were, they, they were getting wealthier and wealthier, and they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue worketh through the, through the earth. They even cursed God, but still they prospered. They were wicked, still they prospered. Therefore, his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world, and they increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. And if I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. David said, I, I couldn't understand this. It was painful. It hurt to see how the wicked prospered and yet God's people suffered. Until, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. God in his mercy has allowed them to prosper. But that's not the end. Then understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How they are brought into desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. 
as a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou wakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength over my heart, and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God. Why? That I may declare thy works. David, as he, as he looked around and he saw all what seemed to be the evil were prospering and the godly were suffering, he said, what's happening? What's going on? And then the text we want to look at tonight is verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Notwithstanding all the foolishness and the ignorance which David had just been confessing to God, not one iota was less true and certain that David was saved and accepted in the Beloved. That the blessing of being constantly in God's presence was his. Fully conscious of his own lost estate and the deceitfulness and violence of his nature, David said, nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Nevertheless, since I belong to Christ, I'm continually with God. This church has literally been thrown into a dark chasm. And we feel the loss of the one that God has called home. And, and in our hearts, sometimes we want to just cry out, why, why, why? And we don't always understand, and we may never understand. I've always said, and I've said many times, I'm sure you have too, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about that. But you know, when we get to heaven, we aren't going to care. We aren't going to question God's wisdom at that time. We're going to rejoice in his presence. We're going to be singing with the angels. We're going to be singing uh, songs of hallelujah to him. It won't be a time of question. It'll be a time of rejoicing. It won't be a time of tears. It'll be a time of rejoicing. But David said, nevertheless, I am continually with thee. And I want us to consider several things just briefly tonight. The first thing I want us to realize is that we are upon his mind. God is continually thinking about us. You ever think about that? He's continually thinking about us. He cares about us. He cares about our burdens. He cares about our sorrows. He, he rejoices when we rejoice. He weeps when we weep. We're upon his mind. He's always thinking of us for our good. Turn back to Psalm 40 and verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works 
which thou hast done, and thy thoughts, which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. God thinks about us. You know, you know, think about that. Think about that. The one who rules the universe, the one who keeps the planets in orbit, the one who supplies us with all of our needs, he thinks about us. Us who are nothing but a worm. But he thinks about us. We're on his mind. Secondly, we are before his eye. Again, turn with me to Psalm 34. Go back just a couple more pages. Verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. We are before his eye. He sees us. He, his eye never sleepeth. And, and, and it's perpetually watching out for our welfare. Turn the other way in Psalms to Psalm 121. Verse 3 and 4. Well, we can start with verse 1. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Verse 3. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. <laughs> uh, I like football. I played a little in high school, believe it or not. I was pulling guard on a single wing to the right. And the defensive tackle who played across from me was a monster. And we did not get along. He was a cursing, foul-mouthed. In fact, he got kicked out of school uh, his senior year for drinking. Back then, they would do things like that. I don't know they can do that anymore, but they did back then. This was a public high school. There were no Christian schools in my area of the woods at all. And, uh, but but we, just, we just didn't see eye to eye at all. And one time I cut him down and he was twice as big as I was. And the next time when I went to do that maneuver, uh, he was waiting for me and he came down with both his knees on my ribs. I thought, he, wow, Ed Cleaver, I still remember his name. Anyway, he that keepeth thee will not slumber. And I like to watch football and sometimes, and often Judy will sit and watch it with me. Now I'm a Detroit Lions fan, so I don't have much to root about. I guess a lot like Redskins fans, but anyway, uh, we won't get into that. Uh, anyway, uh, hey, the Lions won two games and tied one game this year. Best record they've had in, since Barry Sanders left. Anyway, <clears throat> you young people don't remember Barry Sanders. He was a great player. But anyway, let me not get sidetracked. Let me get sidetracked on that. And we're watching football, and, and uh, my wife will look over and say, are you watching the game or are you sleeping? And she says, uh, how do you watch a game with your eyelids closed? And uh, I'll say, well, it, we, it's recorded. Never watch a game live. Can't stand all the ads. Uh, I, I, so she said, I think it's time for you to take a nap. I'll go do something productive. You take a nap. You know what? My God never misses a beat. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. His eye 
is upon me at all times. Not just me, but if you're his, on you too. Not only are we upon his mind and before his eye, but we're in his hand. Turn with me over to Isaiah. Chapter, let's find out which, 49, chapter 49. And verse 16. Think about this. Verse 15 says, Can a woman forget her suckling child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet I will not forget thee. Behold, verse 16. I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. What that is saying is, God has tattooed you in the palm of his hand. Tattoos are real popular today. You know what it has to go through to get rid of that tattoo? I've never had one, never had one removed, but they tell me it's really a surgery. God said, I put you in the palm of my hand. And if you're going to get out of the palm of my hand, it's going to take surgery. Who is the surgeon that's going to cut that tattoo away? John Chapter 10, Jesus Christ tells us, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And in case you're in doubt, my Father and I are one. Another interesting thing about the hand, I don't know if you've ever given much thought to it, but what, when you put your hand, when you pick up something or put your hand in front of it, what's the first thing you see? Inside your hand. Inside your hand. God has put you in the place where you're always before him, graven in the palm of his hand. My dad's hands were, my dad was six foot four. I got cut off on both ends. Uh, He weighed about 165 pounds. I probably outweighed him from the time I was in ninth grade. He was, somebody said he was so skinny if he turned sideways and stuck his tongue out, he looked like a zipper. Uh, But his hands were as big as he was, you know. And when you shook his hands, your hand kind of got lost in his. But I remember I was so fascinated by his hands the veins would stick out on the back of his hands, and I'd work my veins trying to make them. They stick out now. Anyway, I, I, his hands, they were workmen's hands. He, he had a knuckle that was kind of weird shaped, and he had tried to open a canning jar one day, and instead of opening the jar, the whole top came off the jar, broke off the jar, and he brought his hand around and cut that knuckle, and that knuckle was never quite right after that. But fascinated by his hands, God's hands, He has us in those hands. And none, none can take us out. 
Number four, we are on his heart. We're on his heart. Again, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Exodus because I think this is a very interesting passage to me. It's Exodus chapter 28. And God is giving the directions to, the, uh, to Moses to prepare for the priesthood and, and what the priests were to do. And there were special garments that the priests were to wear. And one of those special garments was an ephod. And ephod was kind of like, uh, like a breastplate. And it, it, it hung front and back. But it had very, very special significance. And in Exodus chapter 28, and uh, we'll start about verse 9. And thou shalt, well, let's start with 8. And a curious girdle of the ephod, which is upon it, shall be of the same, according to the work thereof, even gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine, and fine twine linen. And thou shalt take two onyx stones and grave on them the names of the children of Israel. Six names of their names on one stone, and on the other six names of the rest on the other stone, according to their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, thou shalt engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel, and thou shalt make them to be set in ouches of gold. And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of a memorial under the children of Israel, and Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two soldiers, soldier, shoulders for a memorial. You know, I, I like to think that's what God does. He's wearing a breastplate, and on that is my name. And if you're one of his, your name. And, and he, he, he wears that, it was to be worn over the heart. And you're on, you're on his heart. Number five, we are upon his arm. And here we'll go back to Isaiah. Got you, make, make sure you're flipping back and forth through your Bible tonight. And we'll look at, this time at Isaiah chapter 52. And we find in verse 10, the Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. God's going to bear his arm. In Old Testament times, of course, the men wore robes and long sleeves. But when they went to work, they would take the bottom of that robe and they would pull it up in the front and they would tuck it under a belt, a girdle. And those big flowing arms are in the way, so they would roll those up. So what did they do? The arm was bare so they could work. And what God is saying in this we're upon his arm. He's, he's there to work for us. He's there to, to sustain us. He's there to carry us. He's there to help us. He's there to provide for us. He's going to work for us. We need him to work for us. 
at Landmark Baptist Church. We need him to work for us individually in the struggles that we face day by day. And we all face struggles. And then number six, and we just turn over a couple of pages still in the book of Isaiah. He is, we are within his hearing, within his hearing. Isaiah 59, beginning in verse one, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. I, I'm going to make some of you tell your age tonight. No, I'm not going to go one by one. How many of you remember the party line telephone? Yeah, wow, there's a bunch of old fogies in here. Okay, okay. Wow. My father-in-law was a dairy farmer, and in Michigan, and I presume in many other states as well, uh, dairy farmers, most dairy farmers did not keep bulls for uh, breeding the heifers. Most of them used artificial insemination, and my father-in-law didn't want to keep a bull on the farm. They're very dangerous animals for the most part, and so uh, he used artificial insemination. And, and the, what you had to do, you had to call the inseminator at 5 o'clock in the morning because he began his rounds at 5.30. And, uh, and they had a book of the history of the different bulls, and they would pick out what a bull they wanted bred to that heifer. And uh, my father-in-law lived on a party line. So five o'clock in the morning, cow's in heat, and he goes in to call and picks up the phone, and the line's busy, so he hangs it up. Picks up the phone a little later, still busy, hangs up, picks up a little later, and here's one lady standing there, I don't know, Mabel, what time we got to get up in the morning to be able to talk on this line without people butting in. Finally, he said, I, he interrupted and finally got this call through. Hey, there's no party line. It's a direct line. It's a direct line. There, you never get a busy signal. Sometimes I, I call my son, and he has one of those million-dollar phones. And, and when, <clears throat> when I call, it, it, it rings, and then it goes bloop or something like that. It makes kind of a funny noise while well, he's on the line. It's a, it's a, it's a busy signal. You, you never get a busy signal when you call my Heavenly Father. The line's always open. It's reserved for you. You, 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 never, you never get an answering machine. Uh, the number so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so, and... And uh, after the beep, leave your message. And if you have other questions, punch five. And we'll give you other things to do. No, you never, you never get that. And you're never put on hold. I love that one, that hold. Uh, your wait your whole time is now 15 minutes. 
or you can punch in a number and we'll call you back in two days or three days or whatever it is they tell you. Don't you love that one? No. That's not what my God does. He, he's, he's there now. Now, folks, we all know God always answers our prayers. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait. And I don't know what's the hardest. Well, the easy one is yes. When he says no, that's hard. But sometimes I think for us to, for him to say wait, that is even harder for us. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm one of those kind of people who wants to do it now, you know. My, my wife will suggest something. And uh, I say, that sounds like a good idea. And I get up out of the chair. She says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to do that. She says, well, I didn't mean now. <laughs> I meant tomorrow or next week or next month. And sometimes God says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait. I think, I think the best description of God's hearing, humanly speaking, is mother. How many of you ever had mothers? <laughs> Everybody put your hand up. Okay. All right. How many have ever noticed how good your mother's hearing was? Oh, my word. I tell you, my mother could, could hear a pin drop at a half a mile if it was falling out of my hand. And God's hearing is like a mother's hearing. He hears it all. He hears it all. David looked around him, and everything he saw made him discouraged and made him wonder, is it really worth it? And that's what the devil wants us to think today. But God has a plan. And we are upon his mind. We're before his eye. We're in his hand. We're on his heart, we're upon his arm, we're within his hearing. And one writer put it this way, Thou always thinkest of me, O God. Thy love is strong as death. Many waters cannot quench it, neither can the floods drown it. Thou seest me in Christ and myself abhorred. Thou beholdest me as wearing Christ's garments, washed in his blood, and therefore I can stand in your presence. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And we come before a father who loves us and he's going to meet our needs. Pastor Jim, Charlotte, Kathy, Ken, James and your family, our hearts ache for you. But we have a Father who cares. We have a Father who provides. We have a Father who hears. And we have a Father who carries us. One night I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. 
For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints on the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand, and I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints really troubled me. So I asked more Lord about it. I said, Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. Why, when I needed you the most, did you leave me? And then I heard him say, quietly in my ear, my precious child, I love you. I will never leave you, never, ever, during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. And folks, there's only one set of footprints right now. But he's going to carry you. He's going to carry you. He's going to carry you. And he's going to carry this church. And we can trust in him for that very much. There is comfort for the tried and afflicted soul. Vexed with the tempest within, look at the calm without. Nevertheless, say it in your heart. Take the peace that it gives. Nevertheless, I am with you continually. Continually.